Welcome to the heavenly banquet where the hungry are filled with good things. What are you hungry for? Today I'm hungry for justice and peace and a slice of pizza, a sort of combo meal. This week's reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus has no time for Herod's threats. He doesn't have the time. He barely even acknowledges the warning, doesn't pause to consider it, certainly doesn't discuss it. He has no follow-up questions. He doesn't ask the Pharisees how they heard of the threat or what exactly they even heard. Instead, Jesus tells them to tell Herod that he's too busy for all of that, too busy for whatever drama or distraction is being cooked up. He's too busy for all of that. He's too busy to be bothered, too busy to be worried, too busy to do anything about it, and too busy to die, or at least not yet. And y'all, this is no small thing. This is a credible threat. Herod isn't some punk troll, some puffed up blowhard. He's an aggressive despot, a man who rules not by mere threat of force, but by harsh and seemingly random acts of violence. I mean, he just had John the baptizer executed. We don't get that full story in Luke. We don't have a motive for the execution here, but we know that Herod arrested John for speaking out against Herod's unlawful marriage and other misdeeds, and that Herod ends up killing him. It's a weak and insecure ruler who bullies and terrifies people over such simple slights. It's a pathetic and desperate ruler who murders political dissidents in a supposed display of power. It's a dangerous and erratic ruler who seeks order through violence. This threat is real, so real that it is probably more of a promise, actually. Herod has executed John, and he's coming to kill Jesus next. But Jesus is too darn busy to deal with any of that, to worry about any of that. Jesus is so darn busy that he doesn't stop even to debate the Pharisees. He cuts right to the point by telling them to go back to Herod, to relay his message back to Herod. His message that he doesn't have time for this threat, won't be distracted by this threat. Jesus knows that the Pharisees haven't come to him with some good intention, haven't brought him the warning for the sake of his well-being. The Pharisees aren't acting out of love or concern for Jesus. 
In the Gospel of Luke, they've been nothing but instigators, troublemakers. They excel in the art of whataboutism, and they delight in attempting to trap Jesus in the intersection of religious practice and cultural norms. They continually try to expose Jesus as a hypocrite or a charlatan, someone who doesn't know or who isn't sincere about his own faith tradition. But in each exchange, the Pharisees find themselves unmasked as plaster saints, more invested in their own sense of self-righteousness than the righteousness of God. The Pharisees don't care whether Jesus lives or dies. He's been a thorn in their side throughout this narrative, too. Jesus knows that the Pharisees are essentially functioning as Herod's own henchmen, so he sends them back to their master. Go and tell that fox for me. I've got plans today, tomorrow, and the next day. I cannot be bothered with this. I cannot be distracted by this. I'm on a mission, and not even a death threat from a terrible kingpin and his loyal mobsters can shake me off my course. Not even an invitation to confront the one who murdered my own cousin can sway me from my intentions. I've got no time for this. That's pretty extraordinary. I want you to take a moment to think about what you could possibly have on your schedule, what you could possibly be in the midst of doing, what you could possibly want to accomplish, that a credible death threat A death threat from someone with the means and authority to accomplish it. A death threat from someone with a proven track record of unbridled, unjust, and unprovoked violence. Violence that erupted in the murder of your own cousin and partner. I want you to imagine what on earth you could have on your schedule, on your mind, that a threat like this neither demands your response nor captivates your attention nor gives you even a moment's pause. I mean, wouldn't this be the only thing on your mind? Wouldn't it jump to the top of your list? Wouldn't it at least impact your plans to know that whatever you wanted to undertake had to be undertaken without also getting yourself killed? Jesus' resolve here is extraordinary. I mean, even for Jesus, who otherwise finds time for debate, who otherwise engages all sorts of wild and weird situations, who otherwise meets any challenge head on, his resolve here is extraordinary. Nothing can distract him. Nothing can derail him from his mission, from the fate he'll meet in Jerusalem. It's too important. There's nothing that could be more important than what Jesus has set his mind to do, not even a death threat from a king. And it's true. There's nothing that could be more important than fulfilling his mission. The fate of the world literally depends on Jesus getting to Jerusalem and fulfilling his mission. Easter itself is at risk here. Salvation itself is at risk here. Eternal life itself is at risk here. The stakes are too high. And Jesus won't risk it by wasting time on such petty business as an execution order from a king and petty squabbles with his henchmen. Now, I hope you take from this a lesson about Easter and Jesus' determination to meet this awful death for our benefit by the resurrection. That's obviously no small thing, and I don't want to seem to gloss over it. But I also want to get just really plain simple with this right now and point to this as a sort of object lesson in resolve and commitment to the love of others.
You see, Jesus knows that this thing with Herod is only about him. Jesus knows that this thing with the Pharisees is only about him. He's the only one who has anything to gain or lose in how those exchanges play out. In Jerusalem, though, he intends to destroy death, to unveil the weakness of supposed power, to expose earthly empires as meaningless, to reveal the kingdom of God, and to reconcile all of creation to its creator. There is so much more at stake. Why on earth would you worry about what the king said or what the local bullies thought? How could you possibly be bothered with them when the fate of others is on the line? Some things are too important for compromise. Some things are literally life and death situations. And those things are most likely things that are outside of ourselves, things that affect people we love or people we are called to love. And those things are in need of this kind of attention, this kind of resolve. I'm thinking this week in particular about the ways that government agencies and local institutions are codifying the abuse of trans kids and their families. I'm thinking this week about the continued efforts to bolster systemic racism in this country, including efforts to deny its very existence by restricting access to books and educational materials related to our history. And I'm thinking this week about renewed assaults on access to reproductive health care for women. These are all life and death issues. This legal bullying of trans kids will result in higher rates of suicide, self-harm, abuse and violence, and declining mental and physical health for populations already at great risk. Continued lies about this country's history of racism and the current reality of institutionalized racial violence will result in further policies and programs disenfranchising and demeaning people of color and increased hate crimes and interpersonal brutality. And restricting access to reproductive health care for women results in the deaths of women and children and increased poverty, especially among people of color. I'm thinking this week about these issues and a myriad more, and as I see the pundits and the op-eds, the Facebook posts and Twitter threads, the bickering and even attempts to understand the supposed nuance of these issues, I think about the real people being affected, being hurt, and it's all a distraction. It's all noise. It feels like doing something, but it accomplishes nothing. We can't let ourselves get caught up in debates with the Pharisees while trans kids are abused, while people of color suffer, while women die. We can't worry about how Herod might react while children commit suicide, while black men are murdered by the police, while women bleed to death alone. If these are issues that concern you, and I pray that they are, then let me urge you to let go of any worries you might have about what your friends, family, employer, or church folks might think about your activism. People are dying. They'll get over it. And if these are issues that concern you, and I pray that they are, then let me urge you to stop getting lured into supposed policy discussions where you find yourself arguing for the basic human dignity of others or trying to justify their very existence. People are dying. 
What about isms and the devil's advocates aren't saving lives? Let me urge you instead to devote that time and energy to writing to the powers, to marching for change, to acting directly on behalf of those suffering and dying. Let me urge you instead to adopt the resolve and commitment shown by Jesus in his ministry of love to a mission that truly mattered in the midst of so many distractions, distractions designed to keep him from reaching out toward others by refocusing attention on himself, distractions designed to keep him from pursuing concrete actions by ensnaring him in abstract debates. Love is our origin. Love is our constant calling. Love is our fulfillment in heaven. Don't let anything get in the way of love. Don't let anyone get in the way of love. Don't let your own self get in the way of love. There's too much at risk. There are too many real people being hurt for us to play debate club. There are too many real people suffering for us to worry about our social status. There are too many real people dying for us to worry about our own well-being. The mission is love. Don't let anything else get in the way of that. Jesus didn't, and we are called to do the same. Love is our origin. Love is our constant calling. Love is our fulfillment in heaven. Pursue love. Everything else is distraction. Nothing else matters but love. It's always been love, and it always will be love, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.